It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 226, the podcast that looks at news and views and culture from throughout the world from a Christian perspective, but open to all and welcome, especially if you are a new listener. We have listeners from all over the world, which is is great. Now, I've been doing this mini series on the 10 songs that make you happiest, and I've just chosen mine. This is number four from Brian Ferry. It's such an interesting song as well because it's not just as a great tune, he sings it really well, but the sentiment, it's an anti-divorce song. And what made me think of it, I mean, I like the song anyway very much, but what made me think of it was uh, this, actually. In light of the events of the last 12 months, perhaps I have more to reflect on than most. The royal family is in genuine crisis. Have royal scandals damaged the country's reputation? The House of Windsor should be binding the nation together, setting an example of idealized family life. It's a situation that cannot help but affect the stability of the country. For years, that's the crown. This is episode, uh, not season five. Now, I have to say, I approached this with a great deal of trepidation. In fact, we weren't even going to watch it and didn't start until very recently uh, because of the reviews and comments I read in some Christian magazines and other things as well. But I have a confession to make. I really like it. I think it's really well done. I think the acting is superb. I know that there are aspects of the story which are maybe not accurate or are unfair. But I think it portrays uh, a dysfunctional family. And I've always thought that about the royal family, to be honest. I think the Queen is exceptional. But in particular, the let's stick together aspect of it, Charles' attitude to his marriage from the beginning. I don't really think there's any dispute about that. And I find it utterly horrendous. And I find, you know, I'm not a 
big monarchist, and uh, <clears throat> but I like history. King Charles I was an absolute disaster for the UK. King Charles II, some people have as a martyr, including some who listen to this. And I'm sorry to upset you, but I think he was, if not as big a disaster as his father, he came close. And King Charles III, our current King Charles, I I don't know. I, I Well, in the crown, he doesn't come across well, and maybe I was predisposed to believe that because whilst, like all human beings, he's complex and there are many good things, I think that attitude to his marriage and this idea of being a modern monarch and the idea that he can lecture us all about green stuff and everything else, I, I, I don't know. There's... Something I'm very uneasy about, and the, the idea as well of being the defender of faith or faiths rather than defender of the Christian faith. Incidentally, an, an interesting fact I didn't know from that particular program was that Dodi Al-Fayed financed Chariots of Fire. And another one, the, the, the one we just recently watched, was about the Romanovs and how the... British monarch might have had an opportunity to save them, but didn't take it. Fascinating. Anyway, let's come on to where we are today, and we, we're going to go to the World Cup. And I often play national anthems here, and here, just for a little bit, is the Iranian anthem. there wasn't a lot of noise because extraordinarily and I, I think this is probably one of the bravest things I've ever seen forget English players taking a knee or um, trying to wear a, a rainbow badge or whatever nothing brave about that but not singing your national anthem as a protest against your regime that was breathtakingly brave breathtaking honestly I, I just wow but then, speaking of national anthems, uh, these people certainly won't quiet. I'm, I'm sure you must know what anthem this is. That was the Welsh uh, singing as only the Welsh can with that chapel background. Um, incredibly emotional. Watch the clip. Wonderful. You know what it reminded me of from a Christian perspective? In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it talks about we're Christians being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And, just, and it talks about running the race and everything else. And just as these football players are surrounded. I mean, I, I, I've, I've been loving the World Cup, to be honest, uh, surrounded by fans singing and everything else. So we're surrounded by Christians who've gone before, by the prophets, by the angels. And I just have this vision of them singing as we seek to live for Christ here on this earth. Anyway, let's come back from the heavenlies uh, onto the 
sad reality of much of stuff on Earth. Although I, I am talking this week about some stuff I've really been enjoying, and I certainly have enjoyed uh, the World Cup. But England and Wales were going to wear One Love armbands, but they didn't because they would have been in trouble. Um, and again, it, it, we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment with the kind of what I consider to be the virtue signalling. But let's just say a little bit about the actual football. Um, what game do you think this was? That was Saudi Arabia beating Argentina. I the, the joy in the Saudis was just incredible. That's what makes football great. And then this, the Germans, you know, the, I, I, I like German football. I like the German team, but sometimes there's such an arrogance and it's great to see them getting their comeuppance. That's a good touch. Asano still going. Oh, oh my word. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. There's not going to be another upset, is there? Oh, talk to them at the run. What's Schiller doing in the right-hand side? I can't believe he's possessing and playing him on side. That was them being beat by the Japanese. And uh, we got a lot of Japanese people live beside us here in Sydney. And uh, uh, good for them. I'm really glad. All right. I guess we have to come to the politics of it all because that is the, the British press, the Western press, the Australian press. That's what they want to talk about. Not the football. And I, I quite liked... Uh, Abdullah al-Nazari, who I believe is uh, the person responsible for FIFA in Qatar. Now, there's, there's a lot of problems in Qatar. I, I, a lot, I would say. But it's not quite as black and white as people make out. And this is what he says about people wearing LGBT flags. If you want to express your views on the LGBT cause, do so in a society where it will be accepted. Do not come and insult an entire society. We will not change the religion for 28 days. If a fan raises a rainbow flag in a statement in a stadium and it is taken away, it will not be because we want to offend him, but to protect him. If we don't, another spectator could attack him. If you buy a ticket, it's to attend a football match and not to demonstrate. I think that is spot on. And I think what this World Cup is showing, because it is a World Cup, is just how Western cultural imperialists think that their views and their values should be the values of the whole world. And they're learning that's not always the case. And then there was this extraordinary video of Gianni Infantino, uh, who wonderfully named president of FIFA. Today I feel uh, Qatari. Today I feel Arab. Today I feel African. Today I feel uh, gay. Today I feel disabled. Today I feel uh, a migrant worker. Now he went on for an hour in about the same vein. Um, I, I, I laughed at it. I really did laugh at it because it was absolute rubbish. Today I feel Qatari. Today I feel Arab. Today I feel gay and so on. Today I feel a migrant worker. It's rubbish because it's so bad. And yet it's a parody of Western woke 
culture where whatever you feel is what you can be. I've just been reading just now about trans trans people. Don't even begin to ask me to explain what that is. I'm just trying to get my head around it myself. But the elite woke corporates and the corrupt sports governing bodies trying to use all these identitarian slogans to kind of purify themselves. No thanks. Now, Peter brought my attention to um, religion in Qatar. Now, I would have thought it was a very, very small community in this Muslim nation. But in actual fact, there's around 13%, maybe up to 15% of the total population. Many from South India, uh, mostly Catholic. Some, uh, I think there's over 10,000 Egyptian Copts. Um, the Constitution actually provides for religious liberty, although proselytizing by non-Muslims is prohibited by law and no foreign missionary groups operate openly in the country. And yet, you can still get this. Listen to this. That's Jesus being worshipped in Qatar. Nothing but the blood. Wonderful. All right, another thing I've been enjoying is the hysteria around Twitter. Now, I am not an Elon Musk fanboy, but I do find his tweets really amusing. I find what he's doing just quite spectacular. Now, for those of you who don't know about Twitter and what's been happening, we've been, we were told over the weekend, Twitter's just about to close, everything's collapsing and so on. Musk has gone in and talk about a new broom sweeping clean. And Twitter's still here. More than that, Twitter is increasing in number. They are, um, of course, the the same people who want you to make a display of virtue signaling at the World Cup are the people who try and get advertisers to withdraw their advertising from Twitter, and they're probably succeeding. But Musk is about one of the only people in the world who can take them on. Um, now, as I said, I'm not a fanboy of Elon Musk. I, I thought one of his tweets this week was crude and lewd. Read Donald Trump. I, I didn't appreciate it at all. And yet he's exposed something in Twitter, which is quite astonishing. Um, listen to this. In her San Francisco home with some moral support from her dog, Biscuit, Melissa Engel follows the rapid fire changes at her former employer. On the current path, I just, I'm really, really worried about Twitter's future. On November 12th, she learned she'd been let go, first by losing access to her accounts, then an email. The layoffs, followed by an employee exodus, came just days before Elon Musk reinstated former President Donald Trump's account Saturday evening. Cal State East Bay professor Grant Kean says the move appears strategic. Um, he gets to say that he's um, rescuing democracy and reintroducing a certain type of political discourse on Twitter, those losses of personnel are going to be felt. And the site will become more abusive, more extreme, and less reliable over time. Alyssa Gord, Today in the Bay. That's a report about a Twitter worker who's been fired. She, as, as the newscaster keeps saying, basically a man who wants to be a woman. Um, looks like a man, by the way, just a man in a dress. But they were a content moderator. And that explains to me why somebody like me 
was banned for misgendering someone. And yet they let far more serious things go. For example, one of the things that Musk has done that I admire is he started addressing the issue of child sex, sexual exploitation content. Now, you would think that's what content moderators would be concerned about, but not at all. They're far more concerned about pronouns than they are about the sexual exploitation of children. And he's begun to deal with that, which is really quite remarkable. The other thing is, you'll notice in that interview that the man said that um, hate speech impressions, hate speech would, would go up, it would just, you know, without them being there. Well, the actual reality is that hate speech impressions are down by a third from pre-spike levels. I, I laughed at Babylon B. <laughs> They're back on, which is great. Hundreds of millions of people around the world mourned the sudden death of Twitter last night with hundreds of millions of heartfelt posts on Twitter. Um, this Twitter is dead. This is it. Goodbye, cruel world, and so on. Yeah. I think I, I want to tweet about this. This is an extraordinary story. Listen to this story from the Netherlands. Yesterday in the Dutch media, we saw a perfect example of what it could entail in the near future. We had the CEO of one of the largest Dutch banks say, why don't we start with a personal carbon credit? Oh. A carbon wallet, she called it, actually. Yeah. So right in line with the plans that the World Economic Forum people have for us. And she said it in a way that was particularly funny. She said, well, if everyone gets an individual personal carbon credit, why don't we make it so that rich people who, for example, want to go on holiday a little too often uh -huh. can buy personal carbon credit from other people who, for example, can't afford buying plane tickets or eating meat too often. So we can that way swap it out. Oh, so so if if Bill Gates uh, or Leonardo DiCaprio's carbon footprint is getting a bit too big, uh, then some peasant living in his hovel up country somewhere can sell his, uh, and he can't afford to go to Saint-Tropez, but he'll be able to sell his carbon allowance to Leonardo DiCaprio so Leonardo can park his yacht in Saint-Tropez for a couple of extra days. Exactly right. That's it. So what will happen is the, richer, the rich will get richer, the poor will get poorer, and they're saying it openly as if it's not a controversial yeah. thing at all. Yeah. It's neo-feudalism. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. And they don't mind. You know, it's just, yeah, okay. Th that now, this sense. is a proposal that was being made that individual people would have carbon credit. Now, this is where we, we've said this has been going all along. And this is, this is a, a means of benefiting the rich. If you listened to the podcast last week, we explained why this was the case, and harming the poor. So you've got a carbon credit, and you can't afford to travel. You don't have the money. So you sell your carbon credit to Bill Gates or whoever, and they can travel as much as they want. It's a bit like at COP27, rich nations were talking about paying poor nations not to develop, which is in effect what it was. Now it's rich people paying poor people not to travel, and indeed not to have things. As the uh, woman in that clip pointed out, this is neo-feudalism. Okay, since we're in the Netherlands, um, a few weeks ago... I played the song, The Carnival is Over, and someone said they recognised it as an old hymn tune. I was a little bit sceptical, but it turns out it is. Here's the Netherlands singing it.
chorus is Refrain welt ein Utsicht, Bruders Gemeente. Uwig hem ten eigendem, Maranatha blijf ons vaker word, Amen, ja hier Jesus kom. Come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, I, I think, yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, uh, let's go to COVID and let's go to a country we haven't covered, which is Nicaragua. Now here is a fascinating story which you won't hear about. You would have heard about Nicaragua a couple of years ago, because although it's a left-wing uh, socialist, Daniel Ortega, who is in charge, The Guardian and others hammered Nicaragua for not locking down, unlike the more repressive countries around them. Now, why didn't he lock down? This is fascinating. Because Nicaragua is Latin America's third poorest country, and if you don't work, you don't eat. Three quarters of jobs are in small businesses or the informal economy. If they'd shut down, many people would have been harmed or killed. Now, what happened was they refused to lock down. BBC World claimed that the Ortega government had taken no measures at all. The Guardian claimed that Ortega was nowhere to be seen. The Washington Post said that he'd vanished. The New York Times said that Nicaragua was, had become a country of midnight burials. It was all a lie. It's what the media wanted to be true because they told us in their heads lockdowns work and any country that didn't have a lockdown, then it wouldn't work. The Lancet joined in because the Lancet's no longer a medical publication primarily, it's a political one. And yet now the truth has come out. You see, Ortega's government, like a good socialist government should do, had prioritised health power since he came back to power in 2007. It is now 19% of the national budget, one of the highest levels in the world. Contrast that with the UK and the US. Its 36,000 health workers had received training on dealing with the virus. Hospitals were designated, health brigades worked, and so on. By refusing to lock down, Nicaragua's economy has recovered swiftly from the pandemic, growing more than 10% last year and at least 4% this year. It's now built 24 extra hospitals, as well as investing in renewable energy, paving roads, remodeling schools, and achieving the highest level of electricity coverage in the region. Unlike Brazil, Mexico, Peru, and the UK and the US, among the 20 countries with the highest level of, of COVID-related deaths, Nicaragua has 189 per 100,000 of population compared with the UK for 276 and 374 for the US. It's a different story, isn't it? Do you know, I almost want to become a revolutionary. So I think we'll play this. It's good for my voice, but you won't move. 
that's T-Rex, Children of the Revolution. Now, a country that likes to think it's revolutionary, but isn't, except in a really bad reactionary way, is Canada. Here is an extraordinary story coming out of... Now, we have some major stuff about euthanasia in Canada and other things that I want to talk about in another podcast. But listen to this story. The college sent out a, a letter or a memo to all the doctors in Ontario suggesting to them... Now, so far, they're not mandating it. They're just suggesting it that any of their unvaccinated patients, that they should consider that they have a mental problem and that they should be put on psychiatric medication. So far, it's just a suggestion, but the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario should not be making these kinds of suggestions. This is extremely unethical, and this is a very, very slippery slope. Uh, if, if they're suggesting that people who wish to have bodily autonomy and, and don't want an experimental vaccine, that there may be something mentally wrong with them. That is a very, very dangerous, slippery slope that we're on. They're seriously talking, suggesting, about giving you mental health treatment for refusing to take a vaccine. Wow. Okay, a few other things. Um, gambling. Maybe we should look at this in more depth, but it was reported this week that 42%, uh, there was a 42% rise in gambling in the UK. In Australia just now, we have the Victorian elections and both the Liberals and Labour are refusing to do anything about the pokey machines who take billions out of the pockets of the poor every year. I'm glad in New South Wales for people like Sandy Grant of the Cathedral and um, Stuart McLean from Wesley Mission who are lobbying the New South Wales government. I don't think it will work because I think both Liberals and Labour will find themselves... They can't do without the money. And then here's a sad story from Indonesia. <laughs> That's the sound of an earthquake killing at least 250. Um, it's just a reminder again we live in this broken world. And don't forget the Russian war. The Russians bombing economic and energy targets, which may, which will be, I think, more devastating for the Ukrainians. It's a cruel and wicked thing to do. And speaking of which, there's a report, and it seems to be an accurate one, that Russian soldiers have been shot after surrendering. War is just horrendous. And then this from Colorado. The suspect in the deadly LGBTQ nightclub shooting in Colorado Springs will be formally charged next month. Today, Anderson Aldridge appeared in court for the first time via video. He is accused of killing five people and injuring nearly 20 others. The motive is still not known, but we are learning more about the suspect. Court records say Aldridge claims to be non-binary and legally changed their name at 15 to disconnect from the family who had a, a criminal history. The name change happened after Aldridge was reportedly bullied online. Meantime, survivors of the shooting... Now, what struck me about this was immediately politicians like Biden, Harris, others started saying this is what happens and they started blaming Fox News and others. And this is an attack on the LGBTIQ community. And, and for me, you always got to wait and see. It turns out that one of the people killed, at least one of them, was with his girlfriend. It didn't seem to be particularly anti-LGBTQI. But what's has thrown people into, they, they don't know what to say, 
is that if this was a hate crime against the LGBTQI community, this was done by a man who identifies as binary. He wants the pronouns they, them. And, and it's so funny that, that CNN and MSNBC and the ABC don't really know what to do with this. Can they call him he or not? It's just crazy, crazy, crazy. You know, Ricky Gervais, I wouldn't play the clip. He has a clip, but it's pretty crude about how uh, a man can rape a woman. But it basically, it doesn't matter. You've got to get the pronouns right. Uh, we'll come to this again, but here's a, a reminder of what you th- this next item is. That was uh, not the Scottish football team because we don't get to World Cup finals, but that's the Scottish rugby team. Congratulations to Australia for being the rugby league champions in both men and women. But I play that because the Supreme Court of the UK uh, this week said that Nicola Sturgeon could not legally have another independence referendum. Now, we'll say more about that. I may be trying to do a special on Scotland next week. But the bottom line is, she didn't expect that to happen. There'll be a lot of fuss, but it really, that's finished it. And then uh, just a quick story about something else in the UK. The Crown Prosecution Service, lawyers representing them, have said that some verses in the Bible are no longer appropriate to modern society after the street preacher John Dunn was arrested in Swindon and accused of homophobia. Now, I don't think that Mr. Dunn behaved wisely or circumspectly, to be honest. But nonetheless, it is that item that is chilling. The government telling us which bits of the Bible we can read or not. There's much to enjoy in this world. There's much to mourn over. And I'm going to leave you with, if you picked it up, if you were listening to the trailer from The Crown, the song in the background was one of my favourite songs ever, The Verve's Bittersweet Symphony. The Verve, a band from Wigan, I think, from Northern England, had an album, Urban Hymns, which I've got. I love it. Um, Which at one point, apparently one in ten homes in the UK had it. But I love the lines, well, I've never prayed, but tonight I'm on my knees here. I need to hear some sounds that recognize the pain in me. I let the melody shine, let it cleanse my mind. I feel free now. It's a song that exemplifies so much of the confusion in life and our need for a savior and our need for God. So I'll leave you with that. Please let me know what you think. Please pass on any news items. Thank you for those of you who do. 
Uh, go to the website www.theweefly.com for all the links and if you want to support us please go to the Podbean fundraiser that you'll find there as well so god bless you and see you next week and if i can get it done i'll probably make it a scotland special so watch out for that bye